0: everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show, where we hit on all of the big news of the week. Of course, this week, just like every other one when you're covering Bayern Munich, was filled with a lot to talk about. So we will hit on all of that, but just want to say a quick thank you to everyone that was able to vote for us in the World Soccer Talk Best Club Podcast Awards. As you can see, uh, that voting is still ongoing. Right now, we are in second place. Uh, We were in first for a while there, but as these other podcasts, their audiences start to realize that this contest is going on, there's going to be, I would say, uh, rapid swings of uh, voting. So Hopefully, if you haven't voted, you can get out there and do that. We're going to keep pushing hard through this month until the voting ends on July 31st to try and get as many votes as we can. Obviously, we want to win this thing. Uh, We're really proud of the work we do here. We're proud to be able to bring you guys this podcast and all of the other shows on this podcast network. So, uh, we have a lot of fun doing this, and it would be great to be recognized for it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it would mean a lot to us, all of us on the podcast staff. So uh, keep that in mind. If you have not voted yet, uh, you can find the links on our site and uh, it would be a big help to us if you did. So anyway, let's get down to business here. There was a lot to talk about once again, and we'll follow our normal format with the five things that we learned this week. And the first thing that I learned was that Robert Lewandowski going to FC Barcelona wow, it's just not going to be that easy. So this is, this is deep, right? There's a lot to unpack when you look at everything going on with Robert Lewandowski, Bayern Munich, and FC Barcelona. And we've covered this topic ad nauseum on this podcast and throughout the podcast network and also on the BFW site. But one of the interesting things that really came to light this week, I thought there were two actually. The first one was that Bayern Munich is really, really skeptical that FC Barcelona can come up with the kind of money that they require for Robert Lewandowski, and not just come up with it uh, in, in a timely manner, say spread over the course of a couple of years. Bayern wants the money now; they don't want to risk having to collect from FC Barcelona over a series of years. Apparently, there's some, at least a little bit of bad blood there between Bayern and Barca over the Arturo Vidal transfer, as Bayern was not able to collect a lot of the money they had required for Vidal when uh, that transfer went down. They were not able to collect it in a timely manner. And, you know, of course, that was not something that Bayern Munich appreciated. So now in this situation with Robert Lewandowski, a much better and bigger profile player, one that is worth a lot more money and just a player in general who could rapidly swing the tide of things in Europe, Uh, Byron is very skeptical of, of this move. You can tell, uh, in a lot of ways, I think they're, despite everything that we read or we, that we might see, I think they're content to sit with Lewandowski and have him play out the year. And I was really starting to feel like that might happen. And I still kind of feel that way, but in the end, this is a long transfer window. Barcelona is making a lot of other moves and I think they'll be able to reassess exactly how much they can put up for Lewandowski. And if it's in the neighborhood of what Byron wants, I think Byron could be inclined to make a deal, but I just don't know if Barca can do that. And I know the number that we have seen put out there just time and time again is 50 million euro, which in my mind, again, is always, it's just too little for Lewandowski. Uh, and I think that it it's it's not a fair offer, to be honest. And I get Lewandowski's older and there's you know there's certainly a side of things that when, when a player's unhappy, you want to see him, be happy. You want to see him go. And part of me understands that. And I, it's, I wouldn't be all that opposed to that just because Lewandowski has put in so much fine work. He's put in his time. Barca wants to give him something that he cannot get at Bayern Munich. I think it would be fair and equitable for Bayern to hear Barca out to work with Lewandowski to make it happen. But at the same time, Bayern has to watch out for itself and, The bottom line is, as we've said many times, he's worth more money on the pitch at Bayern Munich than any transfer fee that FC Barcelona can provide. So I think it's going to be very interesting, especially over the next couple of weeks. Barca's not slowing down. I mean, they are out there signing people and they're bolstering their team. And if it's not transfer fees that they're paying, it's bigger salaries that they're putting out for some of these players. I'm not saying maybe bigger than some of the the stars of the past at Barca, but they're adding more and more to their payroll at a time where I think a lot of people are unsure how they're doing it and if they actually have the money to pay that. And it becomes extremely interesting when you look at that scenario and you look at Bayern Munich having a pretty much a hard line stance about how much they want for Lewandowski, even though it's kind of unclear what that number is at this point from Lewandowski's standpoint, you see him and, and the latest news that we saw from Kerry Howe with sport one is that, Lewandowski feels like he's being treated unfairly in this deal. And the reason he feels that way is because FC Barcelona wants to give him a three-year contract, something which Bayern Munich will not give him. So when we look at that scenario, I get Lewandowski's frustration. I understand why he is frustrated. I understand why he's a little bit angry, why maybe he didn't show up at training camp and be fully engaged right off the bat. I, I get all of that. Uh, He feels wronged in the situation. I'm sure he feels like he's put in the time that he's been successful and he's done everything that's been asked of him. But, you know, this is going to come down to one thing. Can Barca get their offer into the neighborhood that Bayern wants? And I'm not sure it's going to happen. Lewandowski seems like he really wants it to happen, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Lewandowski was back at Bayern Munich for next season. We'll see what happens with it. But I think as each day goes on, there is more and more doubt that starts to creep into people's minds. And again, this could all just be Bayern Munich playing the long game here, trying to milk as much out of FC Barcelona as possible and trying to push this transfer to happen as close to the end of the window as possible. The only downside for Bayern with that is they actually need a a plan (laughs) to move forward without Lewandowski because no matter who they've brought in so far, no one fills that gap, not Sadio Mane, no one. Uh, It's just impossible to do that. So we'll see what happens with Lewandowski. It will be uh, one of those very fascinating stories that we watch play out. And who knows, maybe even by the time this podcast is released uh, at some point early, early Friday morning, uh, maybe there'll be a resolution. Doubt it, but maybe. The second thing we learned this week is, this is kind of crazy, Gianluca DiMarzio Uh, he filed a report saying that while there are very, I guess, engaging discussions between Juventus and Bayern Munich, there's still a 30 million euro gap between what Bayern offered and what Juventus wants. So this is very interesting because if it was 10 million, you'd say, all right, well, Bayern will make it happen. If it was 15, you'd say, all right, you might be pushing it a little, but Bayern can, can come up with 20. You'd start to have your doubts. 25, you'd probably feel like, uh, I don't know if this is going to happen. 30 makes me think, no way. But we know that Matthijs De wants this deal to happen. He has limited the teams he's negotiating with to just Bayern Munich. So when all of this, you factor all of this together, that 30 million gap, 30 million euro gap, I, I feel like that's going to shrink a bit. I feel like Bayern's going to come up and whatever their initial offer was, I think they're going to meet somewhere in the middle here. I think if there truly is a 30 million euro gap, that I mean, if Bayern's offer was something like 70 or or 60, and and Juventus wants 90, well, we'll just use those numbers as an example. I think Bayern can get it up to about 80, maybe like 83, 84. Maybe 85 if they really pushed. I don't think they'll go all the way, but I think that will be enough to get it done. It's really just a matter of time. And when does Brazo want to make that best offer? And again, it's all this cat and mouse game, the back and forth between the two clubs. The only thing we do kind of know is that Juventus and Byron have a good relationship as opposed to <laughs> Bayern and Barca. Uh, so I would expect the discussions and conversations to keep happening. I don't expect, uh, an easy resolution to this. I know at the beginning of this week, we saw a story saying that Byron wanted Lewandowski and Delict done by the end of this week so that each player could move on and join their new teams for their upcoming U.S. tour for Byron and whatever preseason activities FC Barcelona has. And I believe they're also in the United States, but I'm not positive. Um, but De Ligt, I just don't know if it's going to happen. He's obviously – Uh, or I should say, I don't know if it's going to happen anytime soon. He's in the weird spot of, of having to play the game. Everyone knows he wants to leave the fans at Juventus have been very gracious toward him and he's done and said a lot of the right things. So everybody is handling this in a proper way. The Juventus, the Teistelicht Bayern trio compared to the Bayern FC Barcelona, Robert Lewandowski trio. It's like night and day. Uh, this Juventus deal, I think most people feel like it's going to happen. That that big of a gap with the numbers is quite worrisome, but it doesn't seem like something that could not be overcome in the course of time. I think Bayern has, has been down this road before. I think when the player wants to move like this, when Bayern wants to move like this, and Juventus probably doesn't have too much of a leg to stand on and wanting to keep the player, I think it would be a good move for them to, to capitalize and get as much as they can from Bayern. And of course, we saw that they might turn around and give some of that uh, to Torino for Gleis and Bramer, uh, the, of course, the Brazilian who had been linked to Bayern Munich several times. So uh, I think there are a lot of dominoes that could fall here. When Caladu Koulibaly moved on to Chelsea, I think that took one option off the table for Juventus. So they might start feeling the heat like they need to make a move with Delict sooner rather than later so that they don't miss out on getting Bremer if he truly is this, the man that they want to step into the back line there. So we'll see what happens with Delict. I personally am very excited to see uh, about the possibility of seeing him at the Allianz Arena. I think he's definitely one of the bright young defenders in the game. He's got all of those physical tools you want in a modern day center back. Uh, I think that uh, you know he would be a great fit and potentially be that leader on the back line that Julian Nagelsmann apparently so desperately wants for this squad. The third thing that I learned this week is that Serge Gnabry seems like he is probably coming back to Bayern Munich. Now, of course, Chelsea is rumored to be ramping up their pursuit of Serge Gnabry. If Thomas Tuchel probably is pushing that a lot, he had some firsthand... Uh, observations of exactly how good Serge Gnabry can be. And, you know, Ganabri, for the little bit of a roller coaster ride he can put fans through with his performances, he has been great. I mean, if I had to overall gauge his performances, uh, yeah, he's inconsistent, but he's got so much talent and he's performed when Byron has needed him to. He's been a great player. It's really, it's really tough when you look at Gnabry and, and and I look at this in the the weekend warm up post that will be up on Friday I look at a player who is a starting caliber player who is a great player one that deserves to be in the 11 one that should be a key figure on most other teams but I look at this Bayern Munich lineup and if Robert Lewandowski stays Serge Gnabry is going to be a bench player and you know, there's even a slim possibility that even if Lewandowski leaves Gnabry could still end up on the bench. So it's, it's a difficult spot. Uh, I feel like Gnabry being in his prime, he should be in a position to where he's not worrying about his playing time. And you, I am always harping on this, right? I think that young guys, and players in their prime, they should be out there on the pitch. They shouldn't have to worry about how deep the squad is. If you look at those wing positions. If if Julian Nagelsmann rolls out of back four and he has two wings in that formation, you've got Sadio Mane, Kingsley Coman, Leroy Sane, Serge Gnabry, Jamal Musiala. Those are five terrific players for three spots. And, you know, if it's me, I'm probably starting Mane and Musiala, but uh, if you team him, a team of them with Muller, you got the triple M's there, right? 3M, but uh, I don't think Nogglesman would do that. You know, ultimately, I think it would be Mane, Muller uh, being the attacking midfielder, of course, or slash second striker. Uh, and then I think you would see Kingsley Coman out there on the right. Um, <laughs> it's difficult. It really is, uh, because I look at Gnabry, I, I wouldn't want to see him sitting. And I don't think he would be happy sitting. And it was interesting this week when Leon Goretzka was speaking about Gnabry's situation, you know, Goretzka said that he, the one thing that he's sure is sure of is that if Gnabry stays with Bayern Munich, he'll be happy. Um, and I'd like to think that. I think he would be comfortable, but happy might not be the word I would choose. And Listen, the biggest powder keg of that whole mix is Leroy Sané because we know <laughs> he has uh, had a tendency to pout. He has not always uh, handled these types of situations well. And, again, I don't know if I would blame him in this spot because, again, he is a starting caliber player. And for all of the love that has went about, went out about Sadio Mane and how You know, he's a great fit. There's no denying that. He's great talent. You'd be a fool to turn him away, but you really didn't need him uh, at this point. But now that he's here, you have to deal with it. And how the club chooses to move forward here is very, very intriguing. You can't have every winger making 20 plus million euros can't have every winger expecting to be in the starting 11 and i think that that's kind of where they're at aside of musiala who's you know still young and working off a contract he signed a couple of years back um you know he might have even been last season i want to say uh maybe 2021 20, no it was 2020 i think Either way, uh, Jamal Musial is an intriguing talent. In there. Right now, he's a steal at the price they're getting him at. But, I mean, the other four players in that mix, they're all just making a ton of money. And, you know, we've seen through the years that Wings at Bayern Munich have a, have a tough time staying healthy. So I get the need for depth. I just definitely worry about how you make all that depth work. In fact, if you think about the treble season back in 2020, one of the great things about that is uh, was really how Ivan Perisic played that role. He wasn't coming in demanding playing time. He kind of understood where his role was on the team. But because there were so many injuries, he was able to come in, contribute, and played a very vital uh, role in helping that team achieve all the success that it had. And I do think part of that was being given a role and then being able to perform in that role and then step his game up when called upon to be a starter. And, you know, I don't know that all of the current wings have that mentality if they get put on the bench to begin with. And yeah, I mean, Sané and Gennabry, they're two great players that should be starting somewhere. So I don't, I don't know. It's a real wild card for me. And, you know, I want to see Gennabry stay, but at the same time, I do understand if he looks at that situation and says to himself, um, there might be a better option out there. And whether that's Chelsea or Real Madrid or somewhere else, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But Gnabry, if he truly is leaning toward re-upping his deal, uh, we're going to see some very interesting competition out there on the offensive flanks. The fourth thing that I learned this week was that, man, it is, it's happening. And it's, it's not good for me personally, but... Uh, Chris Richards seems like he truly is on the transfer block for Bayern Munich. And we're seeing more and more stories break about clubs being interested in him. Olympic Lyon, Valencia, Crystal Palace, Southampton, and and even Hoffenheim, where he spent parts of the last two seasons on loan. uh, They're all reportedly interested in him. I, I don't think Hoffenheim could match up with some of those clubs financially, but I do think it's probably the best cultural fit for him because he's been there already. He's established himself as a starter at that club. And I think the fans there really liked him and enjoyed how he played. And it'd be a fool not to the kid is uh, he plays with a lot of exuberance. He's exciting. He's got a lot of physical tools that that you want in a center back. Uh, He's a good passer. And just overall, I think he's loaded with potential and, and, you know, I've always said in this situation, I'm a little bit biased because I did write about, you know, his whole journey from making it as a youth player to what he's doing in the pros and, um, you know, getting to see that story and what kind of kid he is, you you have to root for him. You, You just, you do. I don't know how you could root against him. He, he's got a great attitude and he, I just think he's loaded with talent, and that part is not biased. I'm looking at him, and I could assess him uh, in that way and saying, like, his talent is there, and I think he performed really well for Uh Where I get biased is I, I, I genuinely want him to have success because he seems like such a great kid. Um, but looking at his play on the field, I thought he's proven himself, and while Bayern Munich could always use talent on the back line, it's just one of those situations. It's a numbers game. If you bring in Delict, then you have Hernandez, Delict, Pavar, Upamakano, Nianzu. You can throw Stanisic in the mix since he could play a little bit back there, depending on what kind of formation that Julian Nagelsmann is going to run. It's just a number game. And, you know, I'll lean back on this. When you're a kid that young, you need to be on the field. And since he's already had the taste of that starting role, he's already had a taste of the big time. The kid deserves it. And if I think if he wants to move on and if Bayern Munich can find him a good home, I would support that. Um, What's disappointing is I think he could have been a success at Bayern Munich and maybe he still will be. Maybe these transfer stories are just all nonsense or maybe they'll fall through, but I think he's got the talent to make it at a big club. And I think he's going to really establish himself at some point. It's just going to be a matter of someone giving him a chance and consistently putting him out there and, just have giving him that opportunity to prove himself, and I think he will when that uh when that opportunity arises so good luck to chris Richards in all of his uh, uh his career here because it looks like he'll be moving on but rest assured, we'll be watching him from b f w because uh you know we're we're a little bit invested in his story and then seeing where all this goes so he's a great kid, hopefully it works out for him. Finally, the fifth thing that we learned this week is that, man, I think Brazo has has turned a new leaf here. For someone that was really described as gruff, um, someone who came across as a little bit difficult to work with, according to the stories that were put out there, someone who might not have been the best teammate in terms of working together with other people in the club front office and with the coaching staff, he seems to be pushing the right buttons now. And, you know, when I think about him in the situation, the first thing I think about is why Hansi Flick left the club. And to me, I'm always going to go back to that. I think it was a crazy mistake. I think that if if Brazo and the Byron board and the other executives couldn't figure out a way to mediate things and, and get Flick on board and find a way to keep Flick happy and Brazo happy and make it all work, think it was very short-sighted and it was one of those times where you know Byron came across as a little bit arrogant um and and listen Flick was was not he was not you know absent of any guilt here I mean he was uh you know (laughs) involved in this fracas just like anyone else and I think it's kind of funny as Philip Quinn pointed out and this was very interesting everybody almost everybody anyway but everybody who works with Brazo seems to like him or have gotten along with him except Flick and vice versa. Now we do know that Brazo definitely made some enemies with Miroslav Klose and Herman Gerland. You know, there was, there was just a lot of friction between that coaching staff and Brazo and whether that was his presence on the bench during matches or things he said while he was down there, or just the lack of support that he gave the coaching staff, whatever it was, um, there was heat there there was friction it did not work out. And ultimately, Flick left the club, which was its still a debacle. It's one of the great disappointments, I think, if you are a Bayern Munich fan that you went through because you saw a guy who had everything. He had the Bayern DNA. He understood the club. He understood how to use the players on the club. He understood what systems worked for that group of players. He didn't put his ego above those players. Uh, like we had seen in the past and him doing that resulted in one of the great seasons in Byron history. Um, but the fallout from that was there was the next season where flick had gained some power because of what he achieved and wanted to exert that by asking for players. Some of those players Brazo did not want And once that heat happened and then Brazo went out and got some players that maybe Flick did not want, it just created a situation that became unworkable for both men. Ultimately, Flick left, Uh, as we saw in the Amazon documentary, uh, it was an awkward, awkward situation. Um, But when I do think about that, I think about what, what would you do if you were Brazo in that situation? Would you have come out and you would say, all right, I won this war. I'm still here and he's gone. Or would you probably take the feedback he definitely got from executives and the board stating that he needed to figure out a different way to operate? And I think maybe he did learn from that. Uh, you look at how he's changed his approach, not just with transfers, but how he's communicating and relating. And I guess, in some ways, you could say that he's become a, you know, a lot of people use the term used car salesman because it, I don't know if it's whatever the case in the, United, in the United States here. They'll say that if you're trying to sell someone something. With Brazo, I don't think it's quite that. I don't think he's talking to these players and communicating them and selling them something, this great thing, like like a car that's really a dud, right? It's really a lemon. It's not that. I think he's legitimately laying out a plan and he's communicating to them why they would be important to that plan. Now, it will be interesting in a couple of cases how this whole strategy has worked. As we saw with Ryan Gravenberch, his dad came out and said that Brazo, the biggest difference was that Brazo and the club came out, they showed a plan, they made Gravenberch feel important, and they went for quality transfers over quantity, which I'm sure is a big selling point. And I'm sure that Brazo. Is really hammering that home because other clubs are just going out and trying to just buy talent and buy more talent and buy more talent. Byron has at least been a little bit judicious over the past couple of seasons with not trying to stockpile all of this talent. Now, if you're me, you think, oh my, look, look at the wing situation. That's stockpiling talent for sure. But in general, Byron does not just go out and buy players to buy them, they have a plan. And if he's effectively communicating that plan, and if he's making these players believe that this plan is built for them, that it will work for them, and the club will be invested in them, and if he believes that and it's working, then this is great. It is truly one of the great turnarounds in terms of uh, how a front office executive interacts with people around him and also with his prospective transfer targets. Uh, I look at the stories we see, like Graven Birch, what Brazo did with Sadio Mane, what he's doing currently with Matthijs De He's convincing those players that their best option is Bayern Munich. And I will be the first to admit, I have not always been on board with Brazo and has had less to do with his actual performance on transfers, right? I think he's had some complete utter misses. He's also had some some great moves. And some of his best moves weren't even ones that would turn out to be permanent. If you look at players like Parisage, that's a perfect example. He was the perfect player for that time, you know, and and other people would counter like, Oh, he also brought in Buna Sarr. But like I said, I'm not going to worry about that. Every sporting director is going to have hits. They're going to have misses. What I care about now is that Brazo has started to find a way to coexist with the people in the coaching staff. And then he's found a better way to target transfers and to communicate to them what he can do for them. Uh, I think it it's, it's, should be commended what he's done. And like I said, I have not always been the biggest fan of his work or how he's interacted with people. But you have to give him credit. And if he is turning around, and yes, we did see reports that there was heat between Nagelsmann and Brazo just a couple of months back. But it seemed like during this transfer window, they are really aligned on what they're doing, the players they're targeting. And there is certainly more input coming from Nagelsmann than Flick was ever given. So in a weird way, going through all of that with Flick and and seeing how disappointing that was, it did help Brazo become better at his job. And I think it it's ultimately affecting the club in a positive way because he's not only been more open to working with the coaching staff, but he's also just been overall better at interacting with these players that he's targeting and convincing them that Byron is the best place for them. So big credit to Brazo for the work he's doing, you know to me, I'm shocked. I didn't think he had this kind of transfer window in him. Uh, of course, he'll he won't get a final grade until the end. We have to see what they get for Lewandowski if he moves on. We have to see what they ultimately pay for Matthijs Delict. We have to see what happens with Conrad Limer. We have to see what happens with a number of other things. But what he's done so far has been really good, and it does seem like he's changed his tact just enough. to to be a a better partner to the coaching staff and to be a better communicator to his prospective target. So credit to him, nicely done. I'd give him a round of applause right now, but it's late when I'm recording this and people in my house may kill me. So that will about do it for the Bayern Munich portion. I did want to, I didn't know what, here's what's funny. And I I did want to mention this before I, I switch over and talk about uh, the season finale of The Boys, and also the uh, the most recent episode of Better Call Saul. I did want to say we have to remember too when you look at Brazo. Looking back at this window, it starts really before you know July first. You look at that meeting that Brazo had with Erling Haaland and how that caused issues with Lewandowski and whatnot. I just want to leave this last thought: What if that that meeting with Haaland? What if it wasn't for this summer? But what if he was playing the long game and laying the groundwork for a later date? Now we do know that Holland has a has a has a contract that runs through twenty twenty seven. But we've also heard rumors that there could be a release clause. So if Brazo was playing the the, the long game there with Holland, uh, I, I will give him that standing O I was talking about. So did want to mention that I thought it was pretty uh, uh, pretty interesting to look at and see that maybe that conversation just wasn't geared to, you know, this 2022 2023 season. So like I said, I want to just quickly hit on a couple of entertainment notes. I did finish the most recent season of the Boys and it was classic. It was a great season in every which way. It was funny. It was uh, suspenseful. It had a lot of twists and turns. And it was just a lot of fun in a dark comedy kind of way. Uh, I, You know, if you're not familiar with the subject matter, of course, it's about superheroes and them not really being how they're portrayed in the public. In fact, they're all pretty much bad people, which really kind of hits home. I know that the, the, the foundational material for this show was a, a comic book or a graphic novel, I believe it was a comic book, but whatever the case, um, obviously a lot of material to work with there, but it really does kind of make you think that if there really were superheroes, they'd probably more like be more like those portrayed in the boys rather than those in the Avengers. But anyway, uh, I have to say this, that when you look at a lot of the great acting on that show, and, and there's there's a ton um, the one that stands out is Anthony Starr's Homelander. And I've said this before, because he has to portray that character who's pretty deplorable and despicable and um just an overall bad person. He has to do it in such a way and then play all these different complex parts of that character, what he's like on camera as a superhero, what he's like off camera, how he intimidates the other superheroes, how he intimidates the regular normal human beings, what he's like when the cameras aren't around in terms of how he acts and talks to, to normal people. It is fascinating. And that guy deserves every award he's nominated for. If he gets awarded, if he gets nominated for any, he, it's it's just a tremendous job portraying that character. Uh, if you have not gotten into that show, it's on Amazon prime. You need to, um, and listen, you might hate comic books or any of that. I, I don't I personally grew up, uh, reading them. And, you know, as I got, I would say busier, like with sports and that occupying more of my time, I, I had less time to read them, but it was one of those things that I was able to kind of recapture a little bit later in life. I uh, still now I'm back in that phase where I have zero time to do anything, but, um, I recommend that you watch this show, even if you don't like comic books or the superhero genre, it's it's a really fascinating take dark bleak take on uh, what the world's most powerful people really might be like. So you could read into all kinds of symbolism and all. <laughs> There's a lot going on with that show. So I choose to look at it and enjoy the entertainment of it and enjoy the characters. I try not to think too deeply about the messaging of it because I just want to let my brain rest when I'm, when I'm watching these shows, but a tremendous show. You you really need to check it out. The first episode of the second half of the last season of better call Saul, which I hope you got all that was, was also pretty fascinating. And to me, and I'm not going to just drag on with this, but to me, what I'm most interested in over the next few episodes is how do we see this, this combination of Jimmy McGill, AKA, Saul Goodman and Kim Wexler, how that combination goes from this point in Better Call Saul to us first seeing Saul Goodman and Breaking Bad. What happens? What happens to Kim Wexler? Where does she end up? How much did the events of that episode that, it, that, that debuted last Monday night, how much do they affect her? And how much does, does she see now that all the little games that, She's been involved in really do have some kind of crazy outcome and could affect people's lives in a way that is way more than she ever really wanted to. So that's what I want to see. Obviously, we know what happens with Saul Goodman, but I also do want to see uh, if we get any of that post-Breaking Bad footage of what Saul Goodman's been up to uh, and, and how he's living his life, of course, working at Cinnabon and and the situations he's involved in in that part of the story. So, hey, that'll wrap it up for this week. I will be off next week. I'm actually going on vacation. So I believe Samron will be filling in. So please give her a listen and uh, check it out. This is not the easiest show to do because you're flying solo most of the time and, and there's a lot to hit on every week and trying to narrow it down is not always the easiest, but she does a great job. So check her out next week sitting in this chair. Uh, I just want to say thanks as always for listening, get out there and vote for us. If you can, I'd appreciate it. You can always hit me up at the barrel blog on Twitter. We can talk about that voting. I'm happy to, to wrap with you about it and always feel comfortable to just message me and hit me on Twitter. I I do respond. I would say 99.9% of the time. And that one tenth of the time I don't, it's probably because I've been so wrapped up with uh, BFW that I might've missed it. So don't take it personally, but always please try to reach out and um, I'm good at interacting and, and getting back to you. So get me at the barrel blog, get the site at Bavarian FB works, get Tom Adams, hashtag English Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get, I need no name at BFW You can get Samarin Schnitzel, Teddy, Fergus. I think I got them all. I think that's everyone on the podcast team now. Uh, You can always get them on the site. And if I missed any of their Twitter handles, uh, I will make sure to add them to my list moving forward. And two, you can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. Shouldn't forget him either. Uh, He will probably be on one of the upcoming shows. So I'm sure he's got some interesting stuff to talk about. Hey, thank you again. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the weekend. And uh, have a couple of beers on me. We will see you next time.